Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses um, 11 through 16, although for this morning, uh, we're going to be looking and discussing verses 11 through 13. Um, 11 through 13 is far too sobering and weighty to be able to read it by itself. Unless you're reading the, the next couple verses after that, 14 through 16, you go out of here hopeless, which... You'll see in just a little bit. I can tell you're all excited now. Yay, hopeless. That's what I came for. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Bow with me in prayer. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray that as we come to a passage that uh, is of great significance and relevance to our Christian lives, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand, hearts to welcome the truth. We pray that you would soften any callous hearts that are here today. If there are any slumbering hearts that by the power of your word you would awaken them. Father, use your spirit to strengthen any fainting hearts. Convict those of us who may be too comfortable and comfort those of us who are afflicted. We ask that you would do it through the truth of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit in such a way that you're glorified and your son is exalted for our joy. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hebrews four eleven through 13. This is the conclusion to this warning section that started around 3, 7. Uh, the warning dealing with the idea or the issue of God's rest and warning us or cautioning us not to miss it. Don't be like Israel who had this great miraculous deliverance from slavery in Egypt. God brought them out, brought them to himself. Everything looked great, signs, wonders. And yet at the end of the day, they fizzled and they died in the desert. They never actually entered into the rest that God had prepared for them in the promised land. 
And so the author of Hebrews has gone through here. He's discussed the rest and what the dangers are, what the benefits, the advantages are. And then in these brief verses at the end in 4.11 through 13, this is sort of the, the concluding remarks on that before he starts to shift gears to focus a little bit more on the person of Jesus and specifically how Jesus ministers to us as our effective high priest. couple things then that, uh, that we want to do as we go through here. If, if you have sermon notes, all right, very simplistic, very bare, some of you probably are thinking, that's okay. We're going to try not to make this too fancy or too complicated. We're going to approach this passage 411 through 13 in two ways. One, we're just going to look at this call in verse 11 to diligence. What is it exactly? What does it mean to be diligent to enter rest? And then the second part comes in verses 12 through 13, which basically gives the explanation or the reason behind why this diligence is necessary. Why, if we want to enjoy and enter into God's rest, why we should be diligent in that pursuit. So verse 11, the the call to diligence, and then verses 12 and 13 the reason or the explanation as to why that diligence is necessary. Hebrews 3 and 4 can be, kind of, uh, can, can be kind of confusing. You can lose yourself in the details, right? Because it starts off in 3-7 with this quote from Psalm 95. And then we go from Psalm 95 to a reminder of Moses under the Israelites in, what is that, 3, 16 through 19. And then a little bit later in 4, in chapter 4, we're talking about God's rest at the end of creation, how he rested from all his works. And then we go to Joshua and the rest that the people had under Joshua. And then we talk about David again. And then we come back to... And by the time you get to the end of this section, if you've been reading all the way through, if you've been tracking through, it's easy to get kind of confused and a little bit wayward on what this idea is of rest. Is rest something that I enjoy right now? Is rest something that I enjoy in the future? And the answer is in Hebrews that it's both. I think it was last week that, uh, that our senior pastor talked about rest and put the focus primarily on rest as we presently experience it and enjoy it. Rest being the fulfillment of God's promises in His presence. But all that we encounter right now with Christ, being tied to Him, being united to Him, is only a foretaste, is only a down payment of a greater, perfect, eternal rest that we're still moving towards in the future. Let me show you how this kind of plays itself out in Hebrews 3 and 4. Uh, If you have your Bibles open, go back to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. And start there. One of the things I think is helpful is when you're reading through Hebrews 3 and 4 to try to just summarize this entire warning section in a very short, simple way, which is simply don't fall away and don't fall short. All right, let me me show you how that comes out in the text. Don't fall away and don't fall short. In 3.12, follow along with me. Take care, brothers, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. There's the falling away. Don't fall away. 
but encourage one another day after day as long as, it's, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Do you see that there? Don't fall away. Hold firm to the end. Don't fall away. Don't fall short. Skip down to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, therefore, let us fear, lest while promise remains, or while a promise remains of entering his rest, any of you should seem to have come short of it. Here it is again. Old Testament Israel fell short of the rest that they were moving towards. Don't you let that happen to you. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. And then the verse that we have for today, 4.11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. I take it then in, in those three key little brief passages that there, that there are two observations that we need to make that help us understand what the author is getting at in verses 11 through 13, in 4, 11 through 13. Number one, even though there is a present rest that we as Christians enjoy right now in our relationship with Christ... We rest in the knowledge that our sins have been paid for. We rest in the knowledge that we are accepted by God. Not because we deserve it, but because Christ has made us acceptable. Freedom from our past, freedom from the power of sin, even though we have rest in those ways, ultimately, the primary focus of the rest in Hebrews 3 and 4 is future. Yes, we who believe enter into that rest. That's, that's happening right now. But he's looking at, the author is looking at, a rest, a greater rest that's to come in the future. And his concern is that his hearers, that we, don't miss that future, better, perfect rest. If that's the case... If this rest is future, and I think that becomes obvious because if in, in verse 11, in 4.11, he says, let us be diligent so that we enter that rest. If he's calling us to enter that rest, that must mean in some sense we're not in it yet, right? Give me a nod of the head. All right, you got to stick with me. If we're being diligent so that we can enter that rest, that must mean that we have not yet entered it. That's, that's the future aspect of it. The reason then that he calls us to be diligent is because he recognizes that just because you're here now, that does not necessarily guarantee that you will be there in the future. That's why he's saying, don't fall away, don't fall short, don't fall asleep, don't drift. The temptation for us as Christians 
is to say, when we're reading this passage, gosh, can we just lighten up, right? That's why we've got eternal security, once saved, always saved. We look at this and we say, man, you know, for a passage that talks a lot about rest, it sure does seem to be stressful. Maybe the author should have taken some of his own advice. And then... When we look at the call to be diligent to enter that rest, we're tempted to think that the diligence that's being called for is be diligent at work. So you better be a good little Christian. You better work hard because if you're not good enough, you're not going to get in that greater future rest. You better not slack off. You better meet the bar. You better meet expectations, right? That when we think of diligence, we think of someone who is diligently working, The diligence here, though, isn't so much about a work issue as much as it is a heart issue. The issue is not how diligently you are working, but how diligently you're keeping watch on your heart. So, if you go back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 10... Notice what is said there from the quote in Psalm 95. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their work, in their rituals, in their church membership. They always go astray in their hearts. And then we go back elsewhere in the Old Testament, and you can see, I think we've got this that we can put up on the screen. Deuteronomy 8.2, when the Lord is reviewing how He has worked with the Israelites through the wilderness generation, we read this from Deuteronomy 8.2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And so we find another statement in Proverbs 4.23 that says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Do, Do you hear Hebrews in those verses? God says in Psalm 95, which the author quotes, I was angry with my people because they always go astray in their heart. Deuteronomy 8 says, all the things that the Lord did with Israel, all of the tests, all of the trials, everything they did, whether it's manna from heaven, water from a rock, protecting them from their enemies, all of that was done in such a way to test them to see what was in their heart. Was their heart with the Lord? And we could go to numerous other passages that stress the centrality or the importance, how essential it is to keep watch over your heart. And this is, this is, in a nutshell, what Hebrews is after here. When we're told, be diligent to enter that rest, the diligence that we're being called to is an eagerness, a zeal to watch and to guard over our hearts. Because... This rest that the author is talking about is not like any other kind of rest. 
Men, you get to the end of a, of a hard work week. Weekend comes. You're ready to rest, ready to relax. So you grab that special lady and you say, we're going to go out. We're going to unwind. We're just going to exhale. And so your evening of rest looks like what then? Dinner at chicken salad chick. And then off to Carmike 15 to see the latest, latest sob fest on the big screen. Your wife is there boohooing, and you're, oh my gosh, when is this going to end? That's rest. And you're enjoying it. See, at some point, this rest that you're enjoying on this Friday night, chick food, chick flicks, is not necessarily your thing, but hey, at least I'm not in the office. So yeah, this is restful, right? Or women, you've had a stressful week, either at work or with the kids or who, who knows what else. You get to the end of the week and you're just wanting to cool it and relax with your husband or however women relax. I, I don't know what y'all do. But we'll just say with your husband right now. And your husband comes and he says, yeah, baby, we're, I'll, I'll take care of you tonight. We're just going to... Just me and you. We'll get the kids off to bed. We'll sit down on the couch. It'll just be one-on-one time. Game five of the NBA Finals is on tonight. (laughs) And so on the one hand, the wife is saying, well, at least I don't have to deal with the kids anymore. But then again, I don't want to watch this. But it's not running the rat race, so I'll take this rest over what I had before. Or kids get out of school and they're saying, yeah, summertime, rest, break. Hey, good news, kids. Because you've shown yourself to be so responsible and you work so hard in school, your parents now trust you to babysit your kid brother, your kid sister. Yay, rest. Summer, right? That, that's not the kind of rest that's being talked about here. This rest that God offers to His people is not a rest that you get to enjoy if you don't want it. You don't get to say, well, this really isn't my thing. I think I would, I would be more happy or better off over here. You don't get to say that and then still get to enter into the rest because for you to say, I don't really want this rest or I don't find this rest attractive says something about the condition of your heart. The only way that you get into this rest that the author of Hebrews is talking about is is if you pass the heart test. See, Israel did not enter into her rest in the Old Testament because of what God says in Psalm 95. I was angry with them. They always went astray in their heart. When I examined their heart, it was corrupt. Their heart didn't beat for me. Look at what I offered them. I offered them rest in the promised land. I offered to provide for them. I offered to protect them. I offered to give them security and peace. And most important, I offered to give them my very presence living in their midst. And you know what they said? We think we can get all that stuff back in Egypt. Why do we have to go this way? They actually clamored to go back to a life of slavery... Betraying the fact that they thought the rest that God had to offer them was nothing more than the rest that the world could provide. 
And God says, you, you just don't get it. You don't know me at all if you think that's what my rest is like. So because you don't want it, because your heart has rejected it, you don't get it. So if then they missed out on their rest, all of the promises that God had made to them for years and years and years, all of the contentment, all of the satisfaction, all of the joy, all of the delight, if they missed that because of the corruption of their hearts, Hebrews is saying the only way to prevent that from happening again is that you have to make sure your heart is not corrupt. Be diligent. You better watch. 3.12, be careful, brothers, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. That's why we're told to be diligent to enter into that rest. Because unless we are constantly guarding and watching our hearts, we run the risk of not entering in. The other reason that this diligence is necessary is because of the test that our heart is subjected to. Here's where verses 12 through 13 come in. Be diligent to enter that rest so that none of you fall in the same kind of disobedience. For, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. How do you know if your heart passes the test. Hebrews 4.12 says, your heart passes or fails based on how it stands up under scrutiny of the Word of God. 4.12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Can you stand up to that kind of scrutiny? Can can the Word rule over, preside over the court of your heart? Can your heart come out being declared blameless, guiltless, faithful, trustworthy, See, and here's, here's the other side of this. In this section of Hebrews, when the author talks about the Word of God, the Word of God is not even primarily all the do's and don'ts. Right? See, we're tempted to think when we think of, when we read the Word of God is living and active, we, we think of this. What, and in, in a sense, that's true. But in the context of Hebrews, the word of God that he's talking about is the word of promise. Go back down to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest. Any of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith with those who heard. Do you see that? It's the word of God's promise, the promise of rest, the promise of deliverance 
that they didn't believe, that they didn't hunger for. And in the same way then, in Hebrews 4 we're told, the Word of God that makes those promises, that offers those guarantees, it's not a dead, static Word. It's living and active, and it's examining your heart every day. You don't need to follow here. I'm, we're going to put some verses up on the screen. Let me, this is, I was grappling with, how do you try to get across the idea that our hearts are being examined, dissected, tested by the promises of God's Word? Because I tend to think when my heart is being tested, it's being tested against things like adultery, theft, lying, Stuff like, here, look. Psalm 16. Can we get that up? Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew thirteen forty four. Jesus again speaking. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Philippians 3, 8. Paul says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Romans 8, 16 through 18, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And then probably one of the greatest expressions of the rest that's waiting for us. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 7. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. 
Does your heart line up with those statements in Scripture? When, when you hear that, when, when you hear what the Lord says, you stand to gain at the end of this pilgrimage and walking with Christ, do, do, those, do passages like that, do they stir you? Do you hear that and you say, yeah, that's what I want? Because if your heart doesn't stir with words like that, do you think your heart is bearing up under the examination of the word of God's promises? And if Israel could not find it within herself to desire and want and long for these lesser, temporal, finite promises of rest in a geographic zip code, what in the world makes us think that we're going to be able to find it within our hearts to want and desire and long for things that we haven't even yet begun to see or experience? See, when you hear this, when you see things like, I count all things as garbage compared to the value of knowing Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. When you read Psalm 16 and it says, in my presence is fullness of joy, in my right hand are pleasures forever. Do you believe that? And do you believe it in such a way that you chase it? Or... Are you like Old Testament Israel who says, well, I know that God says he offers this, but honestly, I think I could find fullness of joy and pleasures in a spouse, in a career, in a boat, in a car, in technology, in gadgets, in social state. Do you see what's going on here? That's why the author says in verse 11, be diligent to enter that rest. If you're not guarding your heart, if your heart is not being guarded and cultivated to desire bigger and better things, things that God promises, things that still lie in the future, your heart is going to be captured by something else. And if your heart is captured by other lesser pleasures, you don't get the greater perfect eternal pleasure in the future. Okay, all all fine and good. I'm convinced. I need to guard my heart. How well do I have to guard it? How often do I come under this kind of examination, this heart exam? How often? Well, he's already told us back in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How often do I have to examine and guard my heart? Every day. Because Hebrews is trying to tell me, if I don't guard my heart today, I have no guarantee as to where my heart is going to be tomorrow. This is not the law of averages. Eternity hangs in the balance. 
And you cannot presume upon God's grace to say, well, I can lax up over here in this area of my life and it'll be okay in the end because ultimately I'll come back and right myself. That's not what happened with Israel. Israel saw things with her very eyes that we could only dream of seeing. And at the end of the day, it did nothing for her heart. An entire generation is buried in the desert because her heart could not love bigger, greater things. It couldn't trust and believe that what God promised he could actually deliver and that what he promised to deliver was actually going to be joyful and satisfying for them. Every day your heart is examined through the microscope of God's Word. The promises of God are laid over your heart, and He looks and He examines to see if your heart is beating for those promises or if they're beating for something else. And there's no way that you can get around it. You cannot play games with this because the author tells us the Word of God is not just sharp. It doesn't just cut and dissect, but it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So that even when you look like you're chasing after Christ, even when it looks like you're desiring bigger and better promises, when you're desiring the rest, the Word comes in and says, "Uh uh-uh, but if you go down deep, that's not really why he's doing that. That's not why he said that. Here's the real motive. Can any of us bear up under that kind of scrutiny? On a daily basis. You can't. It's impossible. So what does that mean then? If, I, if, if all of this is telling me that whether or not I enter into the rest of God's promises, bliss in His presence, joy that I can't even begin to comprehend and imagine, makes all of this look like a garbage heap. If I don't get that unless my heart measures up, then I'm never going to get it, at least not on my own. You see how sobering this is? When you're talking about the word piercing your heart and dividing the very innermost part of your being, and then in the next verse, as if we didn't get the idea, he says in verse 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Right? This is far more than the TSA full body scan, right? That shows all the warts and flaws in your physique. This is the kind of opening up and laying bare where it's not just the flaws in your physique, but it's the flaws in the very core of your being. Every errant thought Every stray desire, every temptation to find your joy and fulfillment here instead of there, he sees all of that. What are you going to do? How are you going to get your heart to pass that kind of test? How are you going to be made qualified to enter into that rest? You can't do it. 
you better find something else or some other way. And that's why we have the next paragraph. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. You confess that there are promises that you're driving towards, that you're pursuing. You may not always look like you're worthy of those promises. The difficulty of the Christian life of guarding your heart, the fatigue, the weariness, the failures that we encounter should not lead the Christian to say, therefore, because it's too tough, I'm just going to forget about it. No one can do this. I guess I'll just miss the rest. No, Hebrews says, if your heart can't measure up under the promises of God's word and his exam that sees everything in your being, you better run to Jesus. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and lured away from the promises of his Father and yet to hold fast and to hold true. You need to find someone who didn't succumb to these temptations. You need to find someone who has the ability to work within your heart what you cannot do on your own. You need a joy that you cannot manufacture on the cheap. You need a faithfulness that is infused into your being that says, even if I lose everything, I lose family, I lose reputation, I'm still not abandoning Christ. I'm still not turning my back on what's laid up for me in the future. I still want to be with Him. He's my greatest joy and He's my greatest pleasure. I'm not turning away. That kind of faithfulness, that kind of longing, that kind of joy and desire and delight, even just to begin to taste that, that is not something that comes to your heart naturally. You need Jesus. Your heart has to be changed at the very core of who you are. And even after that change, you still have to have that high priest every day speaking up on your behalf because at any minute, your heart is prone to wander and to stray. And any time you wander and stray, you begin to run the risk that you throw it all away for temporal passing pleasures. I don't know any other way to go through a passage like this without showing the gravity of the situation, to recognize that what your heart longs for is the criteria that will determine what it gets in the end, and that the acid test, if you will, of whether or not we have a heart that truly wants the promises of God, that truly wants to, to be in His presence, is nothing less than the perfection of the Word of God and all the promises that He gives us. There should be something in our hearts that long for what we hear, what we read in the words of Scripture. And the more that I come to that, and the more that I in my devotional time, as I'm sitting in the pew, and I say, I know, I know, I know, I should want this, but I just don't find the wanting there. 
The answer is not to throw it all away. The answer is to go get Jesus. Get his help. Get his mind. Get his heart. Get his power. Get his faithfulness. Get him and let him shape and change your heart so that it does, at the end of the day, pass the test. Not because of what you made your heart out to be, but because one day Jesus himself will stand next to us and say, this man, this woman, this young lady, this young man enters into the rest because look at what I did with their heart. I made them heart worthy for the rewards of eternity. Let's pray. Father, out of the depths we cry out to you. Lord, hear our voice. Let your ears be attentive to our supplication. If you should mark and count our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you might be feared. Father, there is not a single person here who can stand under your holy gaze, who can bear up under the excruciating, discriminating evaluation of your word. And yet we're told that if our, wor- if our hearts do not long for, do not hope for, do not believe in the word of God, the word of promise, that we show ourselves to be unfit, unworthy of the rest that you freely offer. Father, would you stir up a zeal and a diligence in our hearts and minds such that we would carefully keep watch over our hearts and guard ourselves, that we would encourage one another not to fall prey to waywardness or to the tempting desires of this world. Father, most of all, would you remind us and impress upon us the reality that there is no way that we can pass through this test unless it's with Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, as our high priest, as the one who speaks up for us on our behalf. Thank you that we have a mediator. Thank you that we have an intercessor. Help us to live in light of that. Create within us a greater joy and desire for those greater things as we walk in the presence of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.